You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Well, welcome everybody today. What's up, 11 o'clock? Glad to be here with you today. Welcome everybody online. Welcome Mosaic South who's joining us in online via video today. Thrilled to be with all of you. As you can see, we're going to be doing something a little bit, actually a quite a lot different today with here, uh, with me on the stage, on the platform as someone that many of you know and all of you should love. It's Pastor Wendell Williams who leads Mosaic students. That's our Thank middle you. school and high school ministry. And we're going to be tag teaming our time and message today. Yeah, what's up again, everybody? My name is Wendell Williams, and I have the, the honor and the privilege to serve as a pastor of student ministries here at Mosaic. Um, my wife, whose name is Melissa, sitting right up there on the front row, just wrapped up her PhD at the University of Texas. Yeah. We've got four small kiddos all under the age of eight, so we're a little busy, but we are glad to be here with you this, this afternoon. I'm glad to be here with you. By the way, I gotta ask, did you get those shoes just for today? Because those, <laughs> those are nice. You know, if they encourage somebody to act, yes, I'm, okay. yes, yes. <laughs> All right, so we are sort of pushing pause, but not completely on our series today. We're more like airdropping something new right in the middle of it. Our series, as you can see, is called Lost and Found, and we've been looking at all the ways in which we get lost and the ways in which Jesus comes in and finds us. And this series, you should know, is a really big deal for me. It's kind of a labor of love because it touches on and lays out the background for how we view something called Christian mission. Christian mission, you should know, of course, is not colonization. Uh, It is not taking people's lives over. It's not establishing some frontier outpost somewhere and forcing people to act or live like us culturally. No, no, no. Christian mission, rather, is the term we use for how we simply engage and love the world around us. Christians believe, after all, we have a three-in-one God, do we not? We believe this. A father who has sent the Son who has sent the Spirit, who has now sent the church into the world, but for what? To what end or for what purpose have we been sent? This series aims to speak to that question, and so we've been outlining four broad areas of lostness the Christian scriptures and story talk about. Here they are. People are lost from God, themselves, each other, and creation. That's actually what the numbers one, two, three, and four mean on our series graphic. They've been hidden in plain sight. There you go. <laughs> and today we are doing something different for multiple purposes. First, we are doing something different to give you a more robust picture of not just what we are called to do, but how we are doing it here at Mosaic. Because how we are doing mission really, really, really matters. And second, we're doing this to create an opportunity to participate in what is happening with our student ministry. So yes, at the end of all of this, we will be receiving a special financial offering for our student ministry. But first things first. That's right. I was actually hoping for a little uh, excited round of applause when you said special financial <laughs> offering. I was hoping I could get that right now. Okay, very I like good. that. I like yes, that. I like you. that. Total Manipulation there. All right. So what we want to talk about today, as you can see, is not a sermon, but it's way more of a vision cast for the church that we are in the kind of church that we want to become and continue to be. So I'll take the first half. Wendell's got the second. You ready? 
Y'all ready? I'm ready. Here we go. All right. I want to start with something that's going to seem a little bit discouraging. But I promise you, before we're done today, I'm going to do my best. We're going to do our best to fill your heart with faith for the future. I want to start today by talking about a different kind of lostness. Here it is, the lostness of the church, the church of Jesus. And by saying that, I am not saying that the church of Jesus is fundamentally lost. Not saying that because I don't believe it is. It is not, nor is it my intent today. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to disparage any person, church, the domination. Because if you know me, you know you've never heard me speak negatively against any pastor, individual, or church, and you likely, likely never will. I always reserve an asterisk there because you never know. But I am grateful for, and I do work with many churches in this city, outside the city, around the world, both in our Every Nation family and in other churches outside it. I am grateful that we are. Are not alone. We are part of a great, big, beautiful body of Christ. I think we sing a song about that, do we not? Yes. That being said, if you know church history at all, you know that it is possible for churches to drift from their mission, to drift from their purpose, to drift from the true source of the church's life. And so I want to talk about that a couple ways. One way we've seen that is in church history, a little bit in the past, and we're seeing that also, that kind of drift today in another way, both right here in the U.S. So I want to talk about two kinds of drift to make sure neither kind happens to us. All right. So I want to open by talking about just for a few minutes, the decline of the American church. See the smile on my face. Decline of the American church, why that's happened, and why I believe Mosaic is poised for a promising path for renewal. So the decline of the American church and a promising path for renewal. Let's pick up American church history post-World War II. All right. So here we are right after World War II, mid-1940s. The church in America seemed to be strong and flourishing. 1952, Dr. Robert Putnam, David Campbell say, 1952, a record 75% of Americans said religion was very important in their lives. 1957, in their book, American Grace, they say how over 80% of Americans said that religion can answer today's problems. Imagine if a survey had that result today. Church affiliation during the 1950s jumped from 55 to nearly 70%. Another, another bit of research says from 1950 to 1960, the U.S. population went from 150 to 180 million, a record growth aided by the post-war baby boom. In the late 1950s, almost one half of all Americans were attending church regularly. This was the highest percentage in U.S. history. And even going on in the 1960s, you know this, there were, were visible, positive contributions the Church of Jesus made in culture. You can think of, for example, the black church and civil rights contributions, the white church and Billy Graham's revivals, the visibility of mainline churches and all those amazing buildings they have at the heart of so many cities. What happened? What happened? Number one, here's what happened first, the decline of mainline Protestant churches. First, many, though not all, mainline churches, and what is meant by that term is Presbyterian, Episcopal, Lutheran, United Methodist, not my term, more of a sociological uh, term. They've shrunk dramatically now to a fraction of their size just even 40 years later. In general, the mainline churches that have shrunk have done so because they became, over time, theologically liberal. 
What does that mean? Let's look at this. Number one, theologically liberal churches adopted to secular thought specifically around an anti-supernaturalism. They quit believing in supernatural elements like the actual virgin birth or the bodily resurrection of Christ. Began to view Christ's miracles as uh, metaphors or suggestive or nice pictures, not actual or literal. This happened, they did this, in part because of the enormous pressure the scientific community put on the church in the late 19th and early 20th, mid-20th centuries. So churches felt they had to give up the literal miracle stuff in the face of the scientific pressure to remain relevant. So now the Bible, stripped of its supernaturalism, stripped of its authority, became a nice book of some mostly moral good suggestions and not the actual word of God for all people. All right? Secondly, theologically liberal churches remaining mission, therefore, centered around social causes only. And when the purpose of your church is just to do good things, which of course is certainly better than doing bad things, but when your church only exists or primarily for social causes, the people in your church and city can find that anywhere. They can go join the Lions Club or the Rotary Club or the Reading Club or who knows. They're all good things, but that's not the church. And third, we know that liberal, theologically liberal churches' morality was tethered to an unstable and shifting moral consensus instead of maintaining a consistent eternal one. They said, whatever you know, culture says is good and loving, we say is good and loving. And the standard of truth now became not supernatural revelation, but instead secular, practical reason. So as a result, many mainline churches began to empty. A number of those members came over to what are called evangelical churches. But still, by 2007, just 15 years ago, at least 30% of Americans still identified as born again. But now, even the evangelical church is in a bit of decline. What happened? Number two, let's look at that. At the decline of the evangelical church, what is, first of all, let's define our term, what is an evangelical church? Okay, four marks historically of evangelicalism are number one a belief in the full authority of the bible as the sole and supreme rule of faith and practice two the necessity of the new birth by the holy spirit number three reconciliation with god through the atoning work of christ not our good works and four the responsibility to share the gospel in word and deed so mosaic church you should know exists largely within this definition while distinguishing itself from what you're about to hear next. Because I want to take just a moment and try to distinguish between basic evangelicalism and what I want to call, my term, American cultural fundamentalism. All right? Or ACF churches. Now, that is not to be confused with Austin Christian Fellowship, an amazing local church here in Austin. I know the pastor, Will Davis. Okay. Here's why this is important to do while we're doing this. Because in the same way that many, though not all, many mainline churches drifted to the extreme far left and lost their influence, many evangelical churches today have and are drifting to the extreme far right and are losing their influence. In the same way that far left churches could be described more as bastions of secular liberal thought and not the gospel, some, though not all, far right evangelical churches could be described as bastions of this, American cultural fundamentalism and not the gospel. And both of those, I think, are ditches and problems. All right, so let me give you a lot of that term, six characteristics 
of American cultural fundamentalism based on a good bit of research from Dr. Tim Keller, a name that you should all know. Here are six characteristics that these ACF churches tend to embrace. First, if you were there, you would feel this. Moralism instead of gracious engagement. That is, you go there, you feel this like this strict conformity to strange church, behavioral dress codes, secondary doctrines are instead made primary. Some self-righteousness gets involved in that. There's little ability to connect a non-Christian culture with civility, generosity, tolerance. Second, uh, they tend to embrace, not all but some, individualism instead of social reform. That is the belief that you and I, that we are wholly the result of our own individual choices. Let me ask you, how many of you picked your eye color, hair color, where you were born? No, so you're not the result of all your, your own individual choices. There's little understanding in these churches of how culture also forms us, okay? Or where there might be systemic or institutional evil going on. Third, there's a tendency towards the embrace of dualism instead of a vision for all of life, like a pitting of biblical beliefs versus or anti-culture. As in either we seek a hostile takeover of our nation or culture or some sphere, or maybe we seal off our Christian beliefs and go hide away somewhere in a corner. There's no thought for how faith may shape the way we work and how our jobs themselves could be leveraged to be a common good for society. Fourth, there's an anti-intellectual bent instead of scholarship. Like there's a distrust of experts, scholarship, distrust of science, a reverse snobbism against education and against any sort of scholarship which isn't deemed as common sense for all people. All right, fifth, there's an anti-institutionalism, a trend towards this, instead of accountability. As in a distrust of traditional institutions, a use of, especially in the church, celebrity-driven, brand-driven platforms and networks which can lead to fast growth, oh, but because there's low accountability, they can implode dramatically. Maybe you've seen or read about some of these. Fifth, excuse me, finally, six, here's the term, enculturation instead of cultural reflection. Enculturation happens, hint, when, here's the, here's the image, when the bride of Christ stands at the altar and makes a vow to the groom of modern culture. All right, here are three ways ACF churches can marry modern U.S. culture. First, there's gender exaggeration, as in a legalistic tendency towards non-biblical gender stereotypes, especially those born and baked in the 1950s. It could be a denigration of women, a uh, cover-up of sexual abuse. Uh, we've seen this happen. Second, it can be acculturated by an embrace of nationalism. We've seen this happen to sort of a God and country or else ethos that rejects reflection on the dark sides of U.S. history. Listen, you realize why the books of First and Second Kings were written? To encourage Israel to reflect on the darker parts of their history. So they don't do it again. All right, here we go. First service didn't get that. You're welcome. All right, now for a second. All right. <laughs> Sometimes a nationalist bent church can express fear of a multi-ethnic future. I want to say we should embrace it. Yeah. It's coming after all. All right. All right, actually, it's here. All right, third, can, can be, though, I don't know, but can be racist. That in, they can, they're, more, they're less likely to be overtly racist, but instead express cultural insensitivity and a little bit of a clueless atmosphere. All right, those are some of the marks. What has been the result uh, since 2007, last 15 years, the beginnings of a decline, not as sharp as with mainline denominations, but a decline nonetheless, and now? 
brings us to today. Now, as the U.S., you felt this, runs out of sort of traditionally, morally-minded Americans who might want to be part of a church, because it's the good thing to do, and as churches sometimes have become places that cannot reach the highly secular, and as churches have become, some, become guilty of sexual and spiritual moral abuse, and as some churches have become overly politicized and continue to have a race problem, their results have not been positive. And again, we're trying to avoid all of that and be a different kind of church here at Mosaic that doesn't drift into either ditch. Morgan, you brought me down today. Now why I'm here. Is this the end of the church as we know it? Not at all. I'm actually encouraged and full of faith at what God is doing right now. G.K. Chesterton, a Roman Catholic writer, thinker, author, wrote a book called The Everlasting Man. A chapter he wrote called The Five Deaths of the Faith. He does this brief overview of five times in which faith was challenged in the world. Arius, third century controversy, Voltaire, Europe, uh, Darwin, America, and so on. But he says each time the church was challenged, it came out and emerged stronger. And he put it like this. At least five times the faith has to all appearances gone to the dogs. In each of these five cases, it was the dog that died. <laughs> Why? Because Jesus said, I will build my church. And against that church, the gates of hell will not prevail. I want to tell you that's a promise, and it doesn't come with an expiration date. That is good news for us today. Yeah. Okay, despite sum up the bad news, there is also good news. There is and there are beginnings of a dramatic renewal in the U.S. and around the world. And so along with many, many other churches, we have a vision to be a part of that. And Wendell's going to talk about what that looks like next. So what does renewal look like? Let me give you quickly 14, yes, 14 markers of renewal. I'm going to read them quickly, but rock with me. So number one, cities become filled with flourishing neighborhoods that point to the churches within them as a crucial source of life and strength. Two, new churches are being planted twice as fast as they are closing, and two-thirds of the people in the new churches are formerly unchurched and non-believers. Three, the Protestant church, which holds to the historic Orthodox faith, begins to grow faster than the U.S. population. Four, large percentages of Christians become able to speak about their faith in their daily relationships in ways that are not perceived by most of the recipients as offensive or even awkward, but instead are received as helpful and positive. Five, the movement of the young out of the churches will be completely reversed. Children and youth in the church are equipped to see not only the, the beauty of the historic faith, but the deeply inadequate alternative identities, narratives, and answers provided by the culture. Six, Christians will become famous for being the ones who show up in force first to help whenever victims, um, whenever there's a victim of disaster, of any disaster. Seven, Christian churches will be known as the most racially and culturally diverse institutions in society. Eight, the Protestant gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, is lifted up prominently and beautifully across many denominations, escaping the creeping moralism endemic to the church over the ages. Yet, it is done so in a way that encourages deep life change into Christ-like holiness. Nine, the church will become publicly recognized as a refuge for sufferers, known for its ability to help people through grief, pain, and loss. 10, and this is one of, one of my favorites, an increasing number of Christian artists working out both the realism of the Christian worldview about sin 
and a confident expectation of restorative grace produce high-quality stories, music, and visual art, also that A, more people see the beauty and intuitive plausibility of Christianity, and at the same time, B, people across our society will increase in hope. Eleven, there will be a robust, respected, and growing community of intellectuals and scholars, shout out Melissa Williams and 2023 grads, that hold unashamedly to historic Christian doctrine, who are A, active in every academic field of inquiry, producing scholarship and contributes to and alters the field, and B, a growing presence in universities, and then C, an entire alternate intellectual economy of study centers, think tanks, academies, periodicals, and publishing. 12, the church becomes a visible, respected, sexual counterculture. It's a community in which sexuality is not a consumer good conducted on a selfish cost-benefit basis, but a means of self-donation inside of a covenant. It's a community in which the health and durability of marriages and families is obvious. It's a community for singles, and especially for women, of far greater emotional safety and clearer expectations in romantic relationships. It is a place that is known to reject modern superficiality in spouse-seeking, i.e. far less emphasis on looks and money. It's a community in which Christian men and women who describe themselves as attracted to the same sex, but who wish to live according to the biblical vision and ethic for sex are nurtured and respected. Hmm. 13, Christians would be known for their just use of power so that in business, Christians are known to be less selfish and ruthless and more generous to peers, employees, and customers. And in politics and government, Christians would be known for seeking the common good rather than their own electoral interests and for being cognizant of the importance of government policies for a just society. And number 14, Christians would be known for their uncompromising stand for truth and their critique of false beliefs and narratives, and at the same time be known for their civility and for their commitment to creating a truly pluralistic society in which all are free to voice and practice their worldviews and faith. Amen? Amen. So how do we get there? This is the exciting part. So let me give you a number of ways that Mosaic is laboring to do this. One, church planning and renewal. And we've been laboring to do this, and while every year won't be like last year, although Doherty and Nadine, hey, look, it could be coming, get ready. We opened up a campus in South Austin. We sent Pastor Alvin Brown to begin Mosaic Fort Worth, and we sent Dan Duran to El Paso to launch Iglesia Delta. Two, counter-catechesis discipleship. Say it three times fast. No. This means that we must not merely explain Christian doctrine to children and youth and adults, but use Christian doctrine to subvert the baseline cultural narratives to which believers are exposed in powerful ways every single day. Post-Christian evangelism, the content will show how to demonstrate to deeply skeptical people that Christianity is respectable, it's desirable, and believable. Four, multi-ethnic leadership. This is who we are at Mosaic Church. Five, embrace the variety of spiritual giftings. Six, a faith work network. Seven, justice network and initiatives. Eight, grow. Commitment to education which results in increasing the number of Christian public intellectuals. Nine, a new leadership pipeline. We must renew, recreate, expand, and greatly strengthen youth ministry and campus ministries across the country and link these with local churches and denominations, ministries, 
theological training centers, colleges, seminaries, forming coherent yet highly diverse and flexible pathways for leadership development. And behind all of this is a great meta project. 10, increased Christian philanthropy. It's gonna take a lot of money to get there and and giving to local churches and ministries to make all of this possible. So let me say this, please don't let theologically liberal or cultural fundamentalist churches be funded more than the church that we say we love. Let your financial treasure be where your heart is. If this is your church and you do not have a plan to give to your church, please obey Matthew 6.33 and seek God's kingdom first and watch everything else, all other things be added to you. We are all living all of this out and I'd like to think we are worthy of generous financial monthly giving. But let's combine those last two thoughts of reaching students and increased Christian philanthropy and bring us all the way to the end of the runway for where we are today. Today we wanna receive a special offering for our student ministry and specifically for our summer camp. And so here are a few reasons why camp is such a big deal, and then we'll talk about what we need and how we'll get there. First, over the years, we have witnessed Every Nation Youth Camp as a starting point for the largest amount of transformation and deep life change in students. It's not everything. Parents, we absolutely salute what you do on a day in and day out basis. It's critical, it's crucial. Students being a part of a local church week in and week out, where where they see and want to be is also crucial. But Every Nation Youth Camp is a place where one week can change everything. And second, students exist in a world where increasingly secular ideals, where they can experience betrayals by authority figures. They experience daily mocking for their beliefs and a shocking introduction into school cultures that are dramatically different than even just a few years ago. Yeah, just to give you some context for that, a few years ago, one of my sons, his first year in, in public middle school, over the course of that first year there, he saw students doing drugs in the bathroom, walked in on two male students having sex in the bathroom, was called in the principal's office to give a deposition about that, had a gun pulled on him and his friend on the way home over a pair of shoes, and had a classmate conduct a seance in the classroom when the teacher walked out. The other day, he just wore his Christian t-shirt and had one of his classmates tell him to go blank Jesus Christ, go blankety-blank the Bible, even after our child stood up dramatically for that other student in a sensitive social context. Daughter's been mocked for her refusal to to affirm every identity and choice a person would want to make. The list goes on. And yes, we know, of course, this all exists in the world. We know people are going to, our students and kids are going to have to face all this one day, but still, It's been a lot. Now, we love teachers and schools and public schools. We serve and support them and cheer for them. But the struggle is real for even the best schools and teachers. My point in sharing this is just to say our kids need a space to be shaped by something different, by something supernatural, the real reality of the universe who is God and something powerful as well. Because in addition to what happens, yes, here every week, week out and week out on Sunday mornings, in addition to what happens at our community groups here, in addition to what happens at one night, the last of which will be tonight at 5.30, thank you very much, shameless plug, we have Every Nation Youth Camp. And one of the main things that has helped Carrie's and my and our kids through their teen years has been this camp, It's That Good. It's been such a blessing that students invite their non-Christian friends to it. Imagine that. Go to a Christian camp, 10 hours away. Uh, students from other churches try to get a spot on that bus. Now, we tend to say yes to the first group, and let's wait and see to the second. 
but for kids to go to Camp Glorieta, that's the name of the camp, in New Mexico, along with hundreds of other students from around our Every Nation family, the full cost is $800 a student. That covers bus rides there and back, the very best camp food a child could ever want. I'm just kidding, no. Five days, four nights of camp, and that ever-crucial camp t-shirt. Now, while that may sound expensive, and it is, you should know it's literally half the cost of a camp like Pine Cove. So we've heard of Pine Cove Camp, amazing camp, but that cost is $1,600, and that doesn't include your transportation. This camp is on that level, my opinion, but half the cost, and I'd argue because I'm super biased, at least twice the impact, all right? Every year, for the last few years, to get our kids there, maybe you've seen this, we've done something called Take to Give. Take to Give, maybe remember the video with the guy with the dangly arms. Yeah, great video. But it's been built around getting uh, a table in the lobby and having the numbers 1 through 144 pulled, and then we all give that dollar amount if you pull the number. The idea is that we raise that total amount. We could get 25 kids to camp. Now, that's been great, but we've increasingly taken more then 25 kids to camp, and over the few years, sort of slingshotting out of COVID, our student ministry has exploded, and this year we're going to take 140 students and counselors to camp, which includes now adding a third bus, which is a big uptick in expense and something that every Chick-fil-A and Winnie's between here and New Mexico should shudder when they see pulling into the parking lot. <laughs> it's strike fear in our hearts. Maybe, maybe it's more Bucky's this year and less Wendy's. Anyway, our old model of take to give is woefully outdated. It'd be like wheeling up here on the stage a 1972 Buick and expecting that to get you to Canada on one tank of gas, all right? Truthfully, you're like, Morgan, why the big shift? It's been my fault. I've let Wendell up here every year, like woefully under communicating our need. But thankfully, every year, even more than that total of 10 grand has come in. Thank you so much for that. But we've sort of along the way crossed our fingers, held our breath, and I don't want to live that way anymore. And I don't think you want our kids or students to live that way. So this year, we need to expand Take to Give from 1 to 144 all the way up to 1 to 400. That would give us a total of not just $10,000 plus some extra giving, but to $80,000, which would fully fund every kid who wants to go to camp. Our dream would be able to fully scholarship every child who wants to go and can, who can fit on that bus, then to experience the deep love of Jesus and the transformation that is possible in Christian community. So today you may be saying, Wendell, my kids are grown and I'm past all of this. I've, I've, I've paid my dues. Well, great, if that is you and you are here, you likely have a concern for the future of our country and the future of our church. This is your chance to do something about that and literally continue to change, help change lives. Watching more cable news, not gonna do that for you. But giving today absolutely will. You may say, Wendell, I'm single and I don't have kids. Awesome, you might one day, so sow a seed into your future. You may say, Wendell, I'm single or divorced with kids. Great you can give and help create something that will minister to your kids one day too. You may say, my kids are already going to camp. Super, you can also give today and help us reach our goal to scholarship your kids. You say, I'm watching online today from somewhere else. You can't see me. No, not true. Two things about that. Number one, credit and debit cards work everywhere. And two, if Mosaic is what you watch every week and it speaks and ministers to you, it's because in part of all that we've talked about today. Helping Fun Camp is helping us keep being who we are. 
Somebody here today or watching online may, may be able to write a single check to cover all of that, and we thank you in advance for that if that's you. Um, but to invest in the future of the Capital C Church and Mosaic Church, to fund something that, that Dr. King's dream, a church filled with brown, black, and white students, kids from Austin who want to shape the world of tomorrow. Is one week everything? No. But if your student is brand new here, or they only want to come to camp and then participate in student ministry once every six weeks, of course, that's a different conversation. Relationships with anyone takes time, especially with students. But consistency is king. But even if they are new, or you are new, yes, they are welcome, and yes, we want you to send them to camp. We just don't want it to be the last thing or the only thing that you send them to. All that being said, one week can change a student's life. And we want to be the kind of church that prepares students to be a part of the great renewal that God is doing through his church today. So let's show, let's take a look at what this camp looks like, and we'll come back and talk about how you can get involved. first person to Christ. And then as a bonus gift, I got to baptize him. Jesus was just like calling me to get up and just like pray. Grabbed each other's hands and we prayed together. And it was just so, so nice. It's like God actually came down and like touched us and just like touched our souls and hearts. I've seen people like lift their hands up. I never think would do that. God has shown me that I'm not alone. But I know who I am now just because the Lord spoke to me. He was, he was everywhere and I felt it. It was like I was rededicating myself to God. Jesus, my God, my King, forever, my God, my Lord, I'm yours forever. Jesus, my God, my King, forever, my God, my Lord, I'm yours forever. Yeah. So with that, would you consider giving today and over the course of the next month towards Take to Give? A few ways you can do that by. If you're in person, you can do, give in the lobby at the North or South Campus. You just go to the table, pull a number, one through 400, and you'll give that amount via card reader. Second, by cash or check, and you can just simply drop it in the giving boxes. Third, through our church app or online, go to give, and there'll be a drop-down option for you for Take to Give. 
Let's believe today for a big moment that, God, that God would open doors through you and me and us as we get ready to give. Yeah, that in mind, would you stand here as we begin to close our time? We're going to take a moment and pray for this special offering for our students and teens. Lord, we just come today in Jesus' name and thank you for this, Lord, for this moment in this church's history, our nation's history, many people and their families and their lives' history. And we're just trusting you now for something that could accelerate us right into your very heart purpose for what you've made us, the purpose for what you've sent us. We become a church that looks more and more like your heart for people in the world. Would you release now waves of generosity, open doors, bonuses, gifts, unexpected checks, dividends paid, all these things to meet the need. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. 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 Hey, Amen. you were great. Appreciate you. Good you job. Great. All right. Awesome. Come on. Come up here. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.